Hi guys, and welcome to another very, very busy edition of the Fight Time Boxing Podcast. Um, with me, Lukash, as always. And yeah, like I said, today's uh, schedule is really full. Um, so, you know, no hanging about. I'm going to start with um, Noia Nueva's non on air because that just happened. Um, you know, a few hours ago as I record this, so I'll start that with that because it's fresh and we can breeze through it. Um, then I'll uh, then I'll talk about Devin Haney versus George Cambosos. I'll talk about Stephen Fulton's great performance against Penny Roman, and I will finish off with talking about um, Joe Cordina winning his uh, first world title against um, Hinichi Ogawa. Um, yeah, a couple of brutal knockouts and a couple of dominant performances. So, um, so well balanced week this week. And yeah, we'll start with the first brutal knockout, which was a little sad to see because you know I assu- if you're listening to this, I assume that you're a fan of Ronnie Tedonair. He's you know an example, and you know he's a, he's he's been a great boxer down the years, and he's also just been one of the nicest guys in, you know involved in the sport. And it was you know some people commented on this before. Um, it was quite refreshing in the build up uh, to see them being um, you know. Um, Instead of looking for cheap heat, it was just respect between the two and all of that. Um, which, you know, that's usually the case with Nonito Donaire. He's, he's always respectful. He, um, to the point that he refused to fight um, Unreal Casimero because Casimero and his coach, in their efforts to build some heat, um, insulted Donaire's wife. And Donaire said, well, then you're not getting my payday. Um, and skipped that fight. Um, but yeah, so the fight itself, it didn't last long. What can we say? It was a... It was a demolishment job this time. It was a it was a knockdown job. Uh, yeah, in a way, came out wearing the smaller gloves, which may have made a difference. Um, I think what he also did was made more effort to feint Donaire up position than he had been the first time. Like a, um, the first time, a lot of the problems that he had in the first one, and this I think uh, you know I've always I've always maintained he preferred. Counter punching to leading, and I think we saw some. We did see some of that in the first one. In that, uh, you know, he took the lead; he was able at it. But um, Donaire deliberately took up a stance, which sort of prioritised taking the shots to the head and moving with them, and protecting his body. And in this one, um, in a way, very quickly started fainting and faking you know he threw a bunch of really uh painful shots upstairs and um so Donair was um already thinking about them you know fucking jabs that were taking up balance and all that sort of thing and then the first knockdown which is right then at the first round um you know if it had been any earlier the fight would probably finish then and there but it was you know just before the bell so Donair survived into the second and basically what happened is uh in a way had been fainting had been throwing jabs and they have been having a visible effect. I mean, throwing the jab as hard as you could, which he doesn't always do. Um, you know, he always has a sharp, nasty jab, but um, this one he was really detonating it on Donaire. And then, and Donaire was starting to react to it, and then he faked one. Um, he fainted a jab, and then immediately turned it into a right straight. It was almost that he. <clears throat> It almost became that he added even more power to it because he fainted the jab and pulling the jab back, he came in with the right hand over the top and he just clattered Donaire sort of on the top of the head and knocked him down. And, you know, like I say, if that had been even 30 seconds earlier, he would really have had time to finish it. But, um, 
we carried on to the second round. And um, after that, you know, Donaire's instinct was to fight fire with fire, which was probably, you know, um, the commentary team said, uh, I, mean, I can't remember whether it was Ward or one of the other guys, um, they said that it was a bad idea for for Donaire to fight fire with fire. But ultimately it was, you know, it's a Hail Mary shot, it's a long shot, but um, what else was he going to do? He wasn't going to outspeed him. He doesn't have the legs to outbox him anymore. Even, you know, if, not to know, even if at his best he would have been fast enough to win the boxing match within a way, you know, he had to, he had to gamble on, at that point he had to gamble on just getting to Inoue before Inoue got to him, I think. So I think it was a right call for him to try to fight it out. But it was, you know, it was always a long shot and that was what it proved to be. And he ended up getting, you know, by that stage everything Inoue was landing, you know, even on the guard was, uh, you know, punting him around the ring. So, so yeah, it's, you know, it's hard to do a full breakdown of the fight because it was just, you know, a little bit of feeling out, a little bit of throwing feints and hard shots at each other and then bang, it was over, which is something that anyway has done, you know, to almost everyone he's fought and now he's done it to do now. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a great performance. Um, I saw, I saw someone say just a minute ago and I think they're probably right that um, for Inouye it's the sort of you know, it probably illustrates progression. I think it's hard to dive too in on this because Donet is, is older than the last time they fought. But I think um, what I was saying about him painting Donet out of position, you know, feeding him ideas, getting him to bite on one thing and then clock him with something else. I think that sort of... I think, I think we see the beginnings of progression there from, like I said, um, I, I always, even before the first NF fight, I always thought he was more comfortable being a counterpuncher who happened to have to lead because no one wanted to take the lead on him. Um, and I think the Donaire fight was when he realised that he'd have to start doing things, you know, at the very best level, he'd have to start doing things um, to pull, to give himself opportunities even when he's the you know the full-on aggressor even when they're completely sort of completely worrying about what, what he's going to do and i think this you know these little not even feints i mean feints too but um throwing the damage in one way and then causing you know teaching a reaction and then doing something else to blow them out from a different direction is something you know that's a really high level thing and um i think we've seen the beginning was that like i say i would uh be wary of of saying that sort of become ingrained and is the next level of his development yet because we need to see him do it against um, well we need to see him do it against someone who doesn't get knocked out immediately because yeah sure the point is to knock someone out as quickly as possible but it's just it's too small a sample size to say for certain if that's what was happening but I think that probably is what was happening um, yeah the next fight he claims he wants Paul Butler from what I can remember, the promotions Paul Butler's with Probellum and also with Frank Warren, and I think it's a makeable fight because, in in a way, it's also with Probellum. This was a Probellum card, so um, so I suspect that's makeable. Um, it's a terrible fight. Now, in a way, it could be Butler at this stage, at his best, he could have beaten Butler, you know, in a round. Uh, at this stage, he could beat Butler with both his hands tied behind his back. It's uh, a <clears throat> It's a humongous mismatch, but you can't say that Butler, you know, Butler did what he had to do to win the belt. It would be much more satisfying to see 
you know, I beat on Casemiro. But, uh, you know, what can you do? Casemiro blew all his chances and now maybe going to prison or something. Um, so, yeah, so that one's not going to happen. And, yeah, in a way, versus Butler, maybe next, after which you really just kind of hope that he goes up to... Um, up on more division to Super Bantam, which, you know, that's where he begins to be a bit uh, small for the division. But there's really good fights up there for him. You know, Stephen Fulton, who also fought, we're going to talk about, you know, that would be a great fight. Um, I'm not going to get into the depth of that, why that fight would be so good, but it would be a pretty awesome fight. Um, but yeah, Butler first, um, presumably. Um, and Donaire, you know, I kind of... I would say this, I've seen a lot of people calling calling for him to retire immediately. I would not be at all opposed to see him take sort of a soft touch, um, homecoming fight, a homecoming, you know, a farewell fight of some kind, you know, not a mismatch, but a, but a fight he'd be expected to win, you know, I, I don't know who I'd put in that position. But fuck it, maybe Liboro Solis, I don't know if he's retired yet, but he fought a few weeks ago, so probably not. Giving them both a retirement fight, Solis is 40, and... Uh, in a way, um, Donaire's 39, you know, I wouldn't, like, just something, a name that we've maybe heard of, but, you know, it's not going to be a big name, likely, because that would be, basically, I would like to see Donaire get his sort of last hurrah, um, and then retire. Like, there's not really too much for him now. Like, yeah, if, if uh, in a way, beats Butler, then the belts are probably going to scatter, but, you know, by that stage, he'll be in his 40s. He may be tempted to stick around for that. Um, yeah, I wouldn't necessarily recommend it. Um, yeah, you know, the, the 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 one he would have been chasing would have been the remains of Rugondo, who, um, you know, who lost uh, in a sad fashion to um, to Astrolabio. Um, and, you know, that would could have been one that Donaire would have been like, okay, I can get my lost back it would have been a bit cheap but you know Donaire's dealing with this horrendous apparent injury from the exploding pressure cooker so um, yeah anyway that's enough about that if you haven't seen the fight you know go and watch it it's uh, what five minutes long um, and it is the best you know in a way people talking about it whether in a way is what um, pound for pound number one I wouldn't necessarily put them you know if you didn't have them there already I don't know that, you know, no matter how good the 40-year-old man is, um, at some point, you know, you fall, off, you, you fall off the cliff at that age at some point. So I wouldn't necessarily rush to put, in a way, too much higher up the pound pound list than he already was, just because Donaire was, you know, in his 40s. Um, but but he is one of the best boxers in the world. Like, skill for skill, you'd put him up there with anyone. And like I say, um, there are some signs that he's he, even he started to round out his game and become more. Um, it's not even less reliant on his power because he still uses power, but you know, not just blasting through. Which you know, I've got to be fair here. He wasn't doing that. It's not that he wasn't setting up his shots before. He was doing really well at working, the, especially working the body as far back as Narvaez. You know, when he was um, on the front foot, he would set up the shots to the body. But. Um, but you did see it in the first fight when the shots of the body weren't there, when Donaire was really focused on defending the body, he didn't really have the little new... He didn't have variations on the angles. And I think I think that's what we're seeing from him now. And yeah, it's, it's kind of... It's kind of a celebratory... It's weird, a celebratory mood, because in a way it's just great, but it's sad because Donaire is, you know, great. But, um, 
yeah, we are where we are. Great fight. Um, well, I said great fight. Great performance. Um, you know, and a great fighter down. I'm going to stop talking about it now. It was only five minutes long and there wasn't that much to say. Um, you know, at some stage I might have to do a deeper dive on Inoue's game um, in a piece, but uh, I'm not going to go and promise because I don't know when that will happen. But uh, I probably will, you know, hopefully at some stage. Um, so I'm now going to move on to the next fight, which is um, Devin Haney's performance against George Cambosos. And how good was it? How bad was Cambosos? Um, where does it leave Haney? I'm not going to talk about pound for pound. I mean, I'll probably will briefly at the end, but um, but where does it leave the division all that kind of stuff? But let's talk about the performance first, because um, Haney's come in for some criticism because it was boring, and so I didn't find it. You know, I, I understand why people, you know, that you, people want to see a fight, and what we got was a, mostly a jab heavy, um, jab heavy moving bit of ducking and holding, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and I did say in my preview that I feared um, that Haney was just going to default to jabbing and win it that way. But uh, I do have to say that the way I imagined him doing that was not the way that he ended up actually doing that. There are there are different variations on jabbing performances, right? And... Um, you know, I thought if that Haney was going to just evolve the jab and jabbing and staying away, it was going to be a soft pity patty jab and just really not engaging at all. Whereas, um, you know, it was jab centric, but there was more, I think, than people are giving credit for of him than, you know, jabbing and then engaging. You know, and yes, he did sometimes come in quite a lot in some of the early rounds, I think, but um, yeah, he did sometimes end up hugging out as well. Um, but there was more, you know, he was using the jab a lot more aggressively than I expected him to, and he was engaging afterwards. Now, by CompuBox, he threw more power shots. This is about equal. They, um, I th- no, I think they landed equal, and he threw a lot more um, of the power shots. Um, and, yeah, he threw it way more jabs. But um, but even the power shots, and this partly on Cambosos, um, really. But, um, but, yeah, Haney was following up the jabs with power shots, is what I'm trying to say here. It's not that he was just jabbing and disengaging and jabbing and disengaging. And, you know, so <clears throat> these uh, fights that you sometimes see from, um, from, um, Bugondo, that he became sort of infamous for, because when, uh, you know, when someone was really there for him um, to come to him, he was magnificent to watch. But when someone really didn't want to fight him, he all he'd do was just jab and move, jab and move. And he's a great boxer. Like Rigo's one of my favourites, but um, and he's a lot, he's a much better boxer than Haney. All, all due respect to Haney, but Haney was more aggressive than you know than a lot of these. I think than a lot of the talk about the performance. Um, gives him credit for. Like, yes, it was jab-heavy. Yes, he was sort of minimising what Cambosis could do. Obviously, that was his plan. But it wasn't a... It wasn't a timid performance, by any means. And, um... Yeah, from Cambosis, what went wrong is, ultimately, what I thought was the biggest danger of going wrong is that Cambosis is not a pressure fighter. He's a volume puncher, but not a pressure fighter. I didn't expect him to be this lost. Like, he had no idea. Like, um... I thought he would look loose when he went on the front foot, but um, he almost couldn't go on the front foot because I think he tried on three or four occasions through the whole fight, and um, he headbutted the top rope twice. I think it was he was so out of um, 
you know, he just didn't have any clue how to do it. He had no idea how to pressure at all. So that was just it was a complete non-starter. Like people, even on the broadcast, and since then, people have been asking, you know, why didn't Cambosos go in front foot? Why didn't he change his approach? Um, and yeah, this is, I'm going to go back to what I've been saying, um, you know, in, uh, in podcasts in the past, you always have to have a plan B and um, Cambosos failed to have a plan B in a spectacular way. Like he just had no backup plan. His entire game plan rests on fainting until his opponents um come at him and then and then stepping in to meet them, you see? And um Haney just wouldn't bite on the feints. It was just a miserable night for him because he had no useful reaction from Haney. He had nothing he could bite on and so he was just throwing at air. Uh, yeah, and when he did try to go on the front foot he just got ding like he didn't have the control on the front foot he couldn't do that so um, yeah I would say the embarrassment was in preparation rather than what happened in the ring and um, I don't know if Cambosos has to consider a change in coach or whether he has to sit down with his coaches and have a sort of long hard word about what we're doing here um, but something has to change like there's going to be a rematch almost certainly because um, because it's um, contracted and because you know they both earned so much money from it that it would be silly of them not to. Um, but um, but something has to, you know, he has to have a deep rethink about what he's doing before the rematch. You know, for Haney, I'm sure he'd rather be doing something else, but he'd also, he'll also have him happily pocket the money. Um, but yeah, you know, star-wise, um, I would say with Haney, because people talk about him firstly on the pound-for-pound list, um, not yet. Like, Cambosas, you know, Lopez was on the pound for pound list for beating Loma because Loma was coming off a stretch of, uh, you know, being right up to near the top of it. Um, but, you know, you, it doesn't carry that completely. Like, you can't go, oh, um, Cambosos beat Lopez, who beat Loma. Therefore, Cambosos must go on the pound for pound. Um, therefore, Haney must be on the pound for pound list. Um, you know, that he didn't prove that for me. Um, it's a bit too shallow a resume. Even, you know, he's he's got good good fights good wins on there but um, but not for me not yet um, skills wise I would say um, he didn't change my mind in any way about my uh, concerns about his stance the one thing you know, I highlighted in his um, I highlighted the last time I talked about him after his win over Jojo Diaz in which Diaz you know managed to knock him off balance a few times um and I, you know, I had this whole conversation about the broken line in his stance somewhere that leads him to, you know, he has this disconnect between his feet and his upper body and, and it leads him to take shots worse than he should be and it leads him to um, to not deliver the power properly. And, I, you know, he didn't change my mind on that. You know, his jab is magnificent. Um, other than that, everything he does, he does all the correct things, but I don't think he does them completely correctly. And even in this one, I like just... Uh, you know, Cambosos had no nothing for him, but like he didn't hurt Cambosos either. He didn't, you know, none of none of that stuff. And just from the way he moved, like Cambosos didn't um, test the theory about his um, his defence in any way. And you know, that be that would be the way for Haney to avoid it. You know, if, unless he can fix that issue, it'll be just just not gauge in that kind of fight, which will frustrate people. But it's the sensible thing to do. Um, but yeah, I think. 
yeah, look, I can't say 100% certain, and it would be silly to harp on about it too much when he won a dominant and had a you know, really good performance. But um, but he did win a performance against a fighter who was um, there on a plate for him, ultimately, who was um, less prepared than he should have been for the thing that Haney was most likely to be doing. So, so yeah. So, I should probably get to some specifics, you know, given that that's my um, thing. And... Uh, I think the thing to note would be um, the way Haney did it. Um, the what Haney, because I'm you know I'm saying that um, that Haney didn't allow that um, Haney didn't bite on Cambosis's feints. Um, but when I say that now, often um, not biting on feints involves not really doing anything much at all, and then waiting for their for them to, to get impatient and go first. Um, that was what happened with, uh, if you're an MMA fan, um, if you uh, watched uh, Israel Adesanya versus um, Yo Romero, that was you know an exercise and two guys waiting for the other one to go first. And even uh, in boxing, it happens quite often when you see two counterpunchers trying to counterpunch each other, it can be a dull fight. Um, but what Haney was doing was he was using the jab essentially to trigger Cambosos' counter response. Um, he was stepping in. That's I think that's why he was stepping in hard because if he'd come in sort of with him, if, he, if he'd come in sort of skittish, he wouldn't have had any real. You know, Cambosos would have been biting on it, but um, maybe. But um, I don't think you know Haney. He wouldn't have been in a position to work off it. He wouldn't have had that much to work off. It would have been dull sort of low volume fight um, in this case Haney you know he was coming in with a jab hard enough to trigger the counter um, you know Cambosos was throwing at him well, not that much but he was throwing at him um, you know whenever he did throw he did come in hard behind the jab and he just you know he'd slide back step back um, I would say you know I um, talk about the disconnect between Haney's feet and his upper body his feet are fine like the, um, it's not as if he's walking wonky with the feet and it's not as if this is a huge thing like this I want to minimum you know what he was doing really well here was um, getting in close enough to land his shots but sliding back enough for Cabosos to miss and then sliding you know sidling his way leaning his way back in and landing uh, some sort of some sort of punishment his stance is really good for that you know like I don't I want to make it clear when I'm talking about um, he has a flaw in his stance you know I think he has it's a very small thing um, and it was perfectly enough you know really good um in what he was doing here and this sort of avoiding the shots and then coming in to follow up with a little something you know he wasn't uh, going relentless pressure relentless pressure all the time but um but it was this thing of you know jab jab avoid the counter follow some follow up with something and then either clinch or head out um and yeah basically it's hard, you know hard to say too much about that because Cambosos um didn't have much beyond that um i would say it was interesting um Haney, Haney's jab was to head and body. His power shots were almost all to the head. It does make you wonder whether he had, he would have had something for Cambosos, um, maybe more closer to fight ending if he'd gone to the body. I don't know why he decided to do it that way. And I mean, it was a head heavy performance anyway. It, was, it wasn't that many jabs, you know, still the majority of the jabs were to the head, but he basically landed almost nothing to the body. Um, according to Compubox, he, um, he landed, uh, 16 shots to the body in the whole fight out of 147 and 13 of those were jabs so he landed 
apparently three power punches to the body. Um, whereas Cambosa was much more equal, I know, much more the other way around, my bad, um, that Cambosa uh, landed, according to CompuBox, you know, you can never completely set your watch by CompuBox. Um, but it sort of fit with what I'm seeing, you know. But um, yeah, Cambosos landed uh, 34 power shots, um, no, 34 body shots, um, and 33 of them were power punches. So he only landed one jab to the body. He only landed 32 jabs overall. So he only landed 68 punches, um, 68 power punches. Like it was a, it was, um, you know. It wasn't, this is the thing. By the punch stats, Haney landed 147 and um, Cambosos landed 100. Um, I think that's probably a little bit, um, Cambosa's probably got a bit more credit for some of his work than he deserved, or Haney got a little bit less, um, but, yeah, it was a, it was a, you know, dominant, it was a big, obvious win without being, I mean, I would, it was embarrassing for Cambosos that he didn't have anything else that he could do but it wasn't one of those where you're just going oh no you know I know what's happening here like this is a mismatch it, should, it looked like a bad match of styles rather than a mismatch I'll put it that way um yeah so Haney sort of moved on um he's now got um I suppose technically has all the belts in this division yeah no Haney is now undisputed um you know there's he has now sorted out all this email and um, franchise and all of that sort of nonsense, Malocchi. Um, he has all the belts clean and clear. Apparently, he says he's going to discard the franchise title and just take the regular, whatever it is, W8. I can't, can't be bothered to keep the alphabet straight. Um, whichever one did the franchise nonsense, he said he's not going to, which I respect. Um, it is, you know, it's great to see unified champions. It's great to see that the four belts matter enough that people want to... Um, Want to undis want to go undisputed? Like um, you know, it's getting to the point where you can start saying now, like the guy who's undisputed is the real champion. It is fair to say that um, you know, we're not quite there yet. Like, for example, um, a few weeks ago, um, Shakur Stevenson beat uh, Oscar Valdez, and that was way more clean and clear. That between the number one and the number two in the division, that was way clearly the top two guys in the division, even though um. There was only their two belts on the line, whereas here, you know, it was for all the belts, but it's a much more mixed up division. Um, yeah, so he is he is the unified champion. He is now going to have a target on his back. Um, he'll do the rematch first. So so let's see about that. The other dominant performance I want to talk about, and this is one I do want to give some attention to because it's all slid under the radar. Um, Stephen Fulton Jr. versus Daniel Roman. And this one kind of slid under the radar. I think it's just as good a fight, if not better, in terms of the levels of the two fighters involved as as um, Haney versus Cambosa. Certainly, Fulton is, um, you know, at this point, I would say Fulton is definitely the better fighter than Haney. Um, I wasn't sure about that before the fight, so I will say now, now for sure. Um, and the other thing I would, and Roman, uh, Danny Roman, um, Probably better than Cambosa, definitely more proven, you know, even coming in and like, even though he got embarrassed in this fight, um, not embarrassed, that's the point, even though he got dominated in this fight, even though it was clean and clear and obvious one for Fulton, um, Roman was adjusting more than Cambosa's ever managed and therefore 
Fulton had to do more to take the win. It was a really good fight. It was a really, you know, it was one-sided dominance, but um, but there was constantly changes going on. There was constantly adjustments, if you like that kind of thing. There was constantly action. It was one-sided action, and it wasn't like a war. But it was constantly, you know, stuff happening. It was, you know, on basically on every level, it was a better fight than Haney versus Cambosos. And like I say, for me, it was just as relevant at the top of the division. You know, despite not being for the undisputed. In fact, it wasn't really for any new belts because um, Roman was challenging Fulton for the two belts he already has. Um, having lost two previously to um, to Morajon Akhmadaliev, um, so this, but you know, so he isn't. He wasn't the second top dog in the division or anything, but um, but he was clearly he was more proven than Kambosos. He has he had a lot going for him. Um, so yeah, let's tell the story of the fight. Let me just introduce the fighters first. Um, Fulton, like you know, I said it in my preview, he is a very good all rounder. Um, there's some mention during and you know after the fight that he shares a gym with Duran Ellis. Ennis. I don't know exactly how that looks because as far as I can tell, they don't share the same head coach. Um, Fulton's head coach is um, is Wahid Rahim, and um, Ennis, I believe, is trained by his father. But uh, you know they've sparred a um, a share time, and they have they share they have that in common. Is you know what I'm trying to say here? That you know two boxers that are fully clearly have learned something together. They're both very well rounded. Um, and you know, my I'll get into when I talk about the fight, my criticism before the fight was that the connective tissue, to put it that way, um between Fulton's sort of um between the areas of his game um wasn't as good as it could have been compared to, you know, how he actually is in them. But um I'll get onto that in the fight because I was pleasantly surprised. Um anyway, yeah, so he's a champion here. He held two, he holds two belts. WBO belt that he one of Angelo Leo last January, I believe, and um, Brandon Figueroa he beat for the WBC. So he's got the two, the WBC, WBC and the WBO, um, Superman to weight belts. And, um, you know, Roman has held the other two belts before. Um, so he came in to challenge him for this. Um, Roman is, like I said in the um, preview, a pressure fighter. I possibly didn't uh, highlight enough how he is a pressure fighter, but a patient one. He doesn't go hell for leather. Like I compared him to Brandon Figueroa, um, who Fulton beat before. In terms of that's going to be his one game plan. is going to be coming forward. Um, what I probably didn't give enough credit for, or you know, talk about enough is um, he's more patient than Figueroa. He is pretty relentless, but more, you know, he gives space. He lets the fighter do stuff, and then looks at what they're doing, and then tries to capitalise on that. You know, Figueroa's just got this relentless threshing machine style, and um, Roman um, was more patient than I gave him credit, you know, it, yeah, than I gave him credit for, and that did affect the fight, it affected Fulton's plan in the fight, I think, possibly. Um, it definitely wasn't a fight that I, it didn't go the way that I predicted in this case, um, because I thought that Fulton was going to try to take advantage of of how Roman doesn't love being pushed backwards by trying to push him backwards but instead he um he did the boxing at range thing as well um and Roman had to sort of chase him and um you know this was the thing he he made Roman basically act against his better instincts because he'd hit him and be gone and then Roman would have to you know he'd have to chase him um, you know it was a similar sort of thing to Cambo versus Haney, um, with the difference that Roman is better at this sort of thing, so um, so Fulton had to do more um, 
do more work to figure it out. And, you know, the thing that I want to talk about the overview pattern of the fight first, um, because I think that was what, um, what really sets Fulton, you know, apart as a, that was what really impressed me. Um, the overview, the overall thing that he did, because what he did was, um, basically, you know, the simplest way is he ramped up as he went along. Um, the simplest way to put it. He started off, you know, jabbing. Um, he started off focusing heavily, jabbing and moving, jabbing and moving, staying off the ropes. He got pushed to the ropes occasionally, you know, that happens. Um, but yeah, the beginning, his game plan was pretty simple. Um, jab focused, jab first, get away. Um, you know, a couple of shots here and there, but, um, but it was simple and then as the fight went on Roman Danny Roman would work out you know he'd work his way past the jab so then Fulton would add something else so for example you know for example in the first round he did the jab and move step step in jab move um in the second round um that was a fight uh, round that Roman had you know had a pretty you'd, you'd say he won that that Danny Roman won the second round he basically started to time his way past Fulton's jab pretty much the first thing Fulton did in round three was throw an overhand right. Um, you know, he, he threw a couple of little flicking jabs out there, but, um, but then he just came in with a hard right, um, sort of over one of those uh, almost Eastern European style overhooks, um, um, or downer cuts, or whatever you want to call them, um, you know, these straight rights, but sort of curved in over the top. Um, point being is that Roman had been sort of crashing in behind the jab like in the first round basically because Fulton was throwing you know he's throwing to jab quite hard he's again like I was talking about Haney earlier he wasn't tepid um, timid jabbing while moving he was stepping in with the jab doing damage with the jab then getting out of there um, in the second round um, Roman basically decided okay I'm gonna go through with you know I'm gonna take the jab and just walk through it um, to try to get a bit closer to you um, and it worked, and, and you know, you could, you, it was fairly obvious, um, fairly clear. You know, it was close, but Roman probably won round two. Um, and then the third round, basically, yeah, um, almost the first thing that uh, he threw, Fulton threw a couple of flicking jabs, and then instead of throwing the stiff jab, um, he threw an over, he threw that right big right hand, and just kind of basically stopped. Um, Sort of man in his tracks and made him think. I oh, know, you know. Now, now I've got this to think about. Like if I chase in through the jab and he throws the right hand instead, I'm going to walk onto it. And that happened, you know, a couple of more times. It wasn't always the right hand. Um, you know, he came on. He went back to his jabbing and moving, and then he threw a leaping left hook. Um, and even that was a change even between rounds one and three. Um, he did start using different jabs as well. And you know, it's the really good fighters um, have a really good variety of jabs and I always talk about Hunter Nakatani as having one of the most educated lead hands but Fulton's um, you know just look, just take round one and round three and look at the difference between the jabs he's throwing it's you know not uh, it's not that he wasn't throwing the same jab now he was throwing this simple jab as well but then he'd also in round three which he wasn't doing so much in round one he'd uh, well he'd hook off the jab but even he'd throw like he'd throw the jab sort of most wonky like um, which is a sort of um, obstructive jab instead of the step-in jab he'd sort of start throwing it almost uh, so that it would come across uh, Roman's guard and obstruct his vision and that you know that's not hurtful but it does uh, it's annoying and it makes it harder to move um, 
it means you have to reset before you charge, even though it's only a tiny little bit, you know, it's all those little things. And that was just between round one and round three. And, you know, I'm not going to do a blow by blow. Um, but basically, as the fight went on, each time Roman figured out what he was doing and figured out a way past it, um, he would introduce something new. And by the end of the fight, you know, it was a combination of the new things he was adding on and Roman was getting tired. Um, and yeah, he'd just add, an, add more and more things. And by the end of the fight, he was really. You know, he's not a power puncher, but he was really beating, um, Fulton was really beating Roman up. Um, but like the end of the fight was a almost come forward, you know, definitely holding center of the ring, um, combination punch and performance. And that was when he saw the, um, the roundedness because, yeah, because, um, at the beginning he was, um, jabbing and counter punching. And then he's, you know, he took, started to take the lead with these, you know, stepping in, intercepting shots. Um, as he took the lead, and but then he went back to countering, and he'd uh, he'd let Roman come at him, come at him and counter him, and then um, but by the end of the fight, Roman was so just physically outmatched, you know, not physically outmatched. He'd been taking so many shots and got so tired that that um, Fulton was able to start really dropping combinations on him and really be the leader, um, and he didn't need, you know, he didn't feel as um, beholden to. Waiting to see what Roman would do, he really just started um, beating him up and throwing combinations and becoming this aggressive fighter. And you know, don't get me wrong, he didn't abandon the counter punches. That would have been silly. And um, the whole point was that he was incorporating all this together. But by the you know by the end of the by the ninth round, the last three rounds basically, it was Fulton taking the lead. Um, you know, he'd worked the body a lot um, that stage to take the wind out of him. Um, and yeah, then he stopped throwing combinations, and it just got a bit. By the end, it was one-sided. It was, you know, it was a, it was, it was an uneven fight all the way through. Like Fortune was winning all the way through, but by the end, it was started to turn to a bit of a beating. Um, and you know, beating up Danny Roman is not easy. Um, he's a good opponent. He's a good fighter. Um, and yeah, so let's talk about Fulton. You know, that's the broad strokes. He's adding all these bits in. Um, let's talk about the technical uh, nitty gritty because the one thing, you know, the, uh, as I hinted, um, I was pleasantly surprised um, because my take had previously been that um, he had all these different areas of his game. He's, you know, he's really good at range, going backwards and going forwards. He's really good in close, going backwards, going forwards. He can clinch. He can do everything basically, but um, he can be vulnerable in. Uh, in the transition between the stages um, and you know yes uh, there were a couple of moments um, on the back foot where um, you know he'd get pushed onto the ropes where he did stand up a little bit tall still and Roman had a little bit more success than maybe he needed to um, before Fulton sort of adjusted and got himself off the ropes but other than that um, it was much smoother than I remember him being before. He was much, uh, especially going, you know, especially on the front foot. Um, but even even on the back foot, he was, you know, it was still there, but it was had been worked on, I think, clearly. Um, but going forward, basically, he had no trouble adjusting between the two, uh, between the different things he was doing. No, going forward, um, in his in, in attacking sense, because you know he was attacking off the back foot, shall we say, and then he was stepping in and becoming more aggressive. Um, and, but, you know, he'd keep his defensive stance, he'd come in, um, he'd jab his way in, and then he'd be ready straight away for an inside pocket fight, which, not for me, that's what was lacking before. Like, he, he, he could jab his way in, but then it would take him 
a punch or two before he was really set in his stance to, to be fighting in the pocket. Whereas here, you know, he'd, he'd jab his way in and straight away he'd be catching, countering, rolling with the punches and, you know, really good body defense and all of that stuff. Roman just really had no way, you know, this is the thing. He had a way past it. Like each thing that Roman found, this is why it was such a good entertaining fight to watch and why it's a good, you know, if you want to learn about certain things about boxing, about adding the next thing, it's a good fight to watch, an educational fight to watch because, um, because unlike Camposos who had no answer, Roman always had an answer and Fulton always had an answer to the answer. He was always a step ahead, but he always had to add the next thing and the next thing. And also, that was also an exercise in something that, um, you know, lots of fighters have done this historically. Um, Floyd Mayweather did this, to, you know, in the end of his career, his Money Mayweather phase. People talk about him being a minimalist fighter, and the reason he would be minimalist would be that he could then add what he needed to. You know, so he wasn't giving his a whole game plan from the start. He could adjust as he needed and add things as he needed to, um, which I think a lot of his imitators don't understand. And, you know, I don't think Fulton's necessarily directly imitating Floyd. He's a particularly similar fighter in style. Um, but he has understood that. He doesn't maybe quite do it the same way. But, um, you know, and I'm not saying he's as good as Floyd. Um, but he is, he demonstrated here that he understands this idea of, um, you know, instead of showing your whole hand straight away, and you know it would have been, it could have been overwhelming, but um, he's not a huge power puncher that will blow his opponent out necessarily, um, and it would have given Fulton, it would have given Roman a chance to start learning all the lessons at once, and it might have led to, for example, to some fairly dominant rounds early on, but then Roman started to get back into it later. Whereas the way he did it, he won basically every round by a little bit. And each round he added something new and Roman had to chase and and that was really you know, it was just really good. Um and yeah, like just on a technical level now, because he's sort of sorting the smoothness out, he's become such a complete fighter. Like there are very few fighters who can do more than Fulton in the ring. Um like I say, he can jab at range, he can um he can box at range, he can counter, he can pressure, he can be the leader, he can be the leader at distance, like this is a thing that doesn't get, uh, you know, we always think, oh, the, the outboxer is counterpuncher. Um, the pressure fighter is the, uh, must be taking the lead. Um, that isn't always true. You can, you know, Roman himself is a pressure counterpuncher essentially. Like he likes to, his opponents to work first before he throws. Um, and Fulton can do basically all of this. Um, he can take the lead as, you know, we saw him earlier on, uh, like even at, like like I was saying earlier on, he was taking the lead at distance. He was jabbing first, letting Roman react, punishing him or moving him away. But um, when he came forward, um, he, he I mentioned in the first two rounds or so he'd throw these um, big counters at first. Yes, he was taking the lead there. But if it got into a clinch fight, into a clinch fight, if it got into a pocket fight with Roman, which it did a couple of times, he was intercepting. He was throwing counters there, so he'd be taking the lead at distance on the back foot and then being the counterpuncher in close. Um, and he'd almost lure Roman into that because, you know, Roman wants a counter, so, you know, he'd throw the jab, Roman would counter, Fulton would turn into a pocket fight and counter. It was, uh, you know, really, really smooth, really nice. And, you know, later on, he became the lead in the pressure fight. Like he'd go forward and he'd exchange in the pocket and he'd be taking the lead. So he did both. He did, only on, he did the counter in the pocket and then later on he did, he took the lead in the pocket. It was just, 
one of the most complete performances, and it's all technically correct. Like this is the other thing. Um, you know, I don't have the, no, he doesn't have much power at all. Um, but unlike with Haney, which you know, I don't want to bang on too much about that. This is not my pet theory. I don't want to bang on about too much. But I don't have any fear of Fulton getting you know hit by something and getting hurt because he was standing wrong. Like he might get hurt just because someone hits him really fucking hard, but he takes the shots properly, you know, when he does take a shot. And same thing with throwing the shots. Like, um, he doesn't push himself off balance throwing his own shots. Like, he's he's just, everything's technically pure and correct. He's a really, you know, a really solid fighter. Um, and, you know, I said, uh, I think it was in my, I believe it was the first podcast I ever did with, Dan Albert is entirely possible. I think I had this conversation with him. I either said it then or or some other time, um, where I said that if he fixes these, um, if he fixes this smoothness, you might be looking at a, not just a pound for pound fighter, but someone sort of in the upper echelons of that. Like I say, I wouldn't put him, you know, in a top five pound for pound yet. I think, you know, I, I haven't sat down and thought, oh, pound for pound list, um, I don't do that very often, um, that this is my top 10. I suspect I would put him in my top 10 at the moment, because um, beating Angelo Leo, then um, then Figueroa, then Danny Roman is a really good, you know, I, I think that's a better um, resume of three fights um, to get him into the top 10 than a few of the other guys being talked about the fringes of the top 10. Um, and, you know, if he, if he beats... Uh, Akhmedaliev, then he, uh, you know, I think he would have to be, he'd be unified if he did that, um, and he would have to be, and then maybe he can fight Inoue, and that would be fantastic, and, you know, yes, Inoue's coming up in weight, uh, if he, if they fight that fight, but so even then, you know, you have to be good for people to be talking, it's not just me, like, people are already going on, you know, I hope Inoue steps up to fight Fulton, you know, you know he has to be good if people are coming out of him, his performance are going, oh, you know, that would be a good challenge for Inoue, right? Um, you know, he's just really good, he's just if you haven't seen him and he's flown under the radar this is what I mean like um, you look at all the boxing sites and everything you know even even I talked about Haney first um, but you know hopefully I have put um, given you some idea of why I'm so impressed with Fulton and you know at this point I think he's a better fighter than Haney I don't want to just compare him to Haney I think he's a better fighter than most people um, it just happens that they put in theoretically similar performances on the same night, so it's easy, it's an easy comparison to make. Um, and you know, Fulton's Fulton's performance was just unquestionably a better performance against a better fighter than Devin Haney. You know, all due respect to what Devin Haney did, it was it was good, but Fulton's performance was really just. You know, you could teach classes off that performance. It was just really good, um, and you know, just all due respect for improving fight by fight um, as well. Um, and that leads us to the final fight of the week, which is um, Joe Cordina versus um, Kenichi Ogawa. Or Kenichi Ogawa versus Joe Cordina, technically, because Ogawa was a champion coming in. And um, that, this didn't go at all how, you know, pretty much anyone thought, because, um, you know, I said in the build-up, Cordina's not got a lot of power, Ogawa has got a lot of power. Um, the commentators were talking in the build-up how... Um, you know, Ogawa's got the power. What does Cordina do to counter? Um, to counter? Like during the commentary, as the knockout happened, Joshua Boati, who is a good friend of Cordina's, um, Joshua Boati was asking the question: When the knockout happened, Ogawa's the power puncher. Cordina's not. How do you make the puncher respect? Whoa! You know, it's like that. Basic. That's what happened. Um, 
no one no one saw this coming like the question was how does someone who doesn't punch hard like Cordina make someone who does punch hard and come at you hard like Ogawa respect you how do you keep him off him would he be able to keep him off him and it turns out he just knocked him the fuck out in the second round and he just fucking landed peach perfect um you know leaning in stepping in right hand um overhand right just he slipped to one side um came in just drove through it was one of those where he's pushing the power behind Ogawa's head and Ogawa's coming you know his Ogawa was getting ready to move he hadn't actually stepped in yet but he was coming so he stepped in you know it was just peach perfect, perfectly timed, perfectly placed, everything about it. It was a brilliant punch. There's not really a lot to say about the fight before that because it was just more or less what we thought it was going to be, but it hadn't developed yet. Like It was just starting to to see what the pattern was, which was uh, Agama coming at Cordina hard. And Cordina eventually, evidently just decided, okay, I'm going to use his movement against him. Um, you know, Maybe I should have predicted this. Um, I didn't at all. Um, it was a it was a brilliant shot, you know. It was it's in contender for K of the year. Um, you know, I, I, I'm not going to give it K of the year because um, Jordan Gill's over uh, Gurphy has this uh, backstory behind it and all of the backstory of the fight to date to that point, you know, where Gill was um, fucked up. But um, but you know, this was up there as a just on the second of the KO, the snapshot of the KO. It's it's a brilliant knockshot, um, knockout. Um, and yeah, Cordina is now a champion. His championship was Stevenson's division, which means the target's on his back now. Do I think he beats Shakur? Probably not. Um, but um, he's a more interesting fight for him than a lot of the others would have been. It's probably a more interesting fight for him than Ogawa would have been because uh, he does have the technical competence. So whether he's fast enough and strong enough and powerful enough and whatever to compete, um, to make that count, um, you know, who knows? But... Um, but he is one of the few guys who comes in with the technical completeness, really good timing, really good jab. Um, so, you know, it would be fun to see him against Stevenson. I don't know if that fight can get made. They've talked about it. Like, um, had they? Well, um, Stevenson said he wants to fly over to, he said he wants to fly to England to fight an English champion. Okay, but, you know, we know what he means. Um, that would be fun. But, you know, let's give. Cordina, his uh, his moment now. Oh, it may well be that he takes a soft home, you know, soft homecoming. It was at home already. Um, he shouldn't do. Um, he should take the momentum. And, you know, whether it's uh, Shekhar Stevenson or Oscar Valdez. Actually, I think he might have a mandatory. I think I read that he has a mandatory against Shakat Rakimov, um, which I think maybe Stevenson can circumvent uh, because he's. Uh, he is, uh, that would be unification, although uh, at the same time, if Rakimov already stepped aside for this one, then it's possible that um, that uh, the, um, the sanctioning body, which would be the RBF, which, you know, being who they are, yeah, um, it may well be that they say, okay, you have to fight Rakimov and we strip you. So that way will be next. That would be a really good fight because I like Rakimov. I did a whole piece about him. Um, it's one of my first fights on pieces. I'm not sure if they're GIFs or GIFs or whatever you want to call them. So work. Um, that would be a fun fight. Like Cordina is this sort of cleaner technical fighter, but um, Rakimov's got this really great footwork and um, he's got the rough stuff as well. That that would be really good. That would actually be a really good fight. So I'd love to see that next. Um, and yeah. Um, Zelfa Barrett also won on that card. He was fighting um, 
is fighting um, Farouk Ubana for European title and Safa Barrett thinks he should get next crack at this world title against Guadina. Um Maybe that, you know, from a British perspective, they fought on the same card, they were the same matchmaker, it makes complete sense to make it happen. Um, and probably it's more likely than Shakur Stevenson, but isn't that isn't going to override the mandatory. So that's not going to... I doubt that'll be next, no matter how much... Uh, Itself for Barrett wants it, and um, you know Barrett, Barrett he did well. And I've, um, I've been skeptical of Barrett in the past. I still remember him getting um, beaten up by Ronnie Clark, but he did get good against Kubinov. He had a really good uh, performance. Um, you know whether whether it's good enough to beat Cordina, I don't know. Cordina has beaten the same opponent before, and uh, possibly you'd say um, that uh, that Farouk Kubinov had an you know, tested Cordina more than he tested Barrett, but that, you know, I don't know. Um, I think, well, um, yeah, Zephyr Barrett's not getting to Cordina next, I would imagine, so it's not, you know, that's, yeah, so that was, that's the four fights, the, the four fights I wanted to talk about, and, uh, you know, I hope you, I hope you got something from my talking about those, um, especially I hope that you appreciated maybe Stephen Fulton a little bit more than you otherwise might have done, but, um, but awful fights were fun to talk about. Uh, okay, next week. Next week has a good fight, a good card on the Friday. Um, Hiroto Koyaguchi um, travels to Mexico for to face Esteban Bermudez for Koyaguchi as a champion the WBA. There's a couple of other good um, good uh, fights on there, um, I think. Um, I haven't really sat down and, you know, done tape on the other guys, but um, yeah, but that's on Friday. Um, and then on Saturday there is a um, Munihuya fights Jimmy Kelly, which is a complete squash match. Um, Edgar Belanga fights Romero Alexis Hangudo, which is also, you know, it's not doing him many favours, but Alexander um, Zayas is also on that card. And um, in England, Daniel Dubois fights Trevor Bryan, I believe. Um, oh yeah, and Richard Richard Riopcorp, Richard Riopcorp fights Fabio Torchi, which possibly the best match fight on the day, not the weekend, because again, um, Kuguchi vs Bermudez. Um, I put these out here. I am going to try to do a preview, but I am travelling next week. So, well, I'm travelling on Saturday. Um, so I have to prepare. So I may not have time. Um, I'll see if I can do a preview just for um, just for the Friday fight, which is really um, good fun. Um, but, uh, but it may not happen. And same for the podcast. Um, I will try to watch the fights and do a podcast, but I will be traveling. I may not be around. If I, um, I may not have, I may not be in a place where I have the internet to, enough to watch the fights. I may not be able to do a podcast next week. Same again for the week after. Um, although I should be, I should be around, uh, you know, I should be in a stable enough place to watch Better be versus Smith, um, you know, some way or someone, um, so I should be able to do a podcast a week after next, but um, yeah, basically the next two weeks I'm at home in England, and um, it's possible that I will not have a podcast out in the next two weeks, and that I may not have a previews out in the next two weeks. Um, I will try to, um, you know, but um, well, you know, I'll do my best. Um, yeah, so that that's that. You know, as always, um, thefightsite.com is our written stuff, which is where you find my previews that I mentioned. Um, the fight site has a Patreon. You can find me and others on the Discord. Um, 
if you sign up to our Patreon as well as get access to, you know, as patrons do, exclusive articles and things. And um, follow me on Twitter at Crafty Boxing. Um, follow the fight site at the fight site. Um, you know, I kind of assume that everyone listening to the podcast follows me already. Hi, guys. But um, yeah, that was the week. That was an excellent week and I hope you enjoyed it and I will see you next time.